3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And good morning, listeners. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. It is the 3rd of June and the clock has just ticked over to 7.02. Good morning, Priya. Good morning, Malika. Hey. Hey, good morning. I can't believe it's June. I mean, I say that. All the time. Every week. But I, I say that every week. I, I can't believe that time keeps happening. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's another June and another lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope everybody is staying safe out there, uh, keeping an eye on the DHHS guidelines, um, checking for new exposure sites. Those are coming up all the time. And just uh, to make a note of the fact that sometimes exposure sites come up that have happened a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. So just check, you know. Um, best to be safe um, and get tested if you do have any symptoms and um, yeah check the site for for any further details yeah yeah um so we've got um we've got a, a pretty exciting show today yeah. um focusing on i think yeah a lot of really topical issues both in this state and also in Minjin. Um, so mm. maybe we'll jump into the rundown. Carly, do you want to get started? Yeah, sure, Priya. So first up, we're going to hear an interview that Anna Carlson from 4ZZZ Radio Reversal has with Jamal Nabulsi. Jamal is a diaspora Palestinian writer and researcher living on unceded sovereign lands of the Yagara and Turubal peoples. And his research explores the intersections between emotion and resistance through analysing Palestinian practices of graffiti and hip-hop music. And in this interview, which also includes part of Low Key's track Free Palestine, Anna and Jamal talk about some of the Palestinian justice organising that has happened as part of Disrupt Land Forces Expo. We will then hear a speech by Tabitha Lean, who is on the program Infrastructural Inequalities, Resistant Media and Abolitionist Futures, which was broadcasted online on the 14th of May. Infrastructural Inequalities is a journal and public program that investigates how infrastructural systems distribute resources, capacities and harms in differentiated and unjust ways. Tabitha Lean is a Gunishmara woman, activist, storyteller and lived experience abolitionist. Tabitha speaks about why she's an abolitionist and how abolition is a framework for organising, a long-term goal and way of life. And after that, we're going to hear some or- some audio from Disrupt Land Forces. Uh, so for people that aren't familiar, Land Forces is an arms expo that is currently happening in Minjin. And um, there have been constant demonstrations organized against this uh, by groups, including uh, Free West Papua and by Palestinian contingents, by Aboriginal contingents as well. Um, so most uh, of the speakers in this this little audio clip are named. There's part of a speech by Ula, a Syrian refugee who's an organizer with the Socialist Alternative and the current environment officer at the University of Queensland Union. And it also features an interview with Andy Payne and interviews with Sam Watson Jr. and George from Free West Papua. And uh, yeah, if, uh, if 
listeners might recall that last week we mentioned in the headlines that there was an, a solidarity action in NARM. So worth keeping an eye on at Disrupt Land Forces on Instagram to see what's happening and whether there's any solidarity actions people can join in with. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, you had an interview earlier on in the week, Priya. Oh, yeah. Um, I spoke, I caught up with uh, Narita Waite, who's the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And we chatted about the urgent need for changes to bail laws in Victoria and their impact on Aboriginal people. And um, this is particularly in response to a letter that the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service uh, gave to the Victorian government on uh, the 28th of May calling for these urgent changes, as well as the government's failure to provide adequate funding for Aboriginal legal services in the 2021 state budget. And then lastly, we're going to be calling Andy Payne, who's an activist up in Minjin, and um, him and a lot of other people have been, as we've said, um, demonstrating against the Land Forces um, Expo up at the Brisbane Convention Centre. So yeah, Andy's going to join us to give us a bit of an update because yesterday around a dozen anti-war activists actually entered Land Forces um, the expo through an unlocked side door and there were some really great images where people were actually inside the convention and um, yeah causing a bit of disruption. Yeah it's rare that you sort of get to see actions where people are able to get past the door and Mm -hmm. get their message across inside uh, especially at an armed forces expo so definitely encourage people to check out those images on social media as well. Yeah absolutely. Um, So I think maybe we'll head into a track and then we'll jump into the headlines. Yes. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Now we're going to go into a track. This one is a new one from Maisha. This is Damaged. But it is what it is I walk away 
track there was Maisha's new one, Damaged. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. And now we're going to go into the headlines. Um, Starting off, Victoria's lockdown has been extended for a further seven days. The acting premier, James Merlino, confirmed on Wednesday. This follows a second resident of our care aged care home testing positive to the virus and an increasing list of exposure sites across the state. Activists, unions and the Greens continue to call for the Victorian and federal government to provide financial support and rental protections, in particular for casual workers affected by the current lockdown. The Sydney Morning Herald has reported that the federal government is canvassing possible options for financial support, but has stated that the scheme would need to apply to all states and territories equally. And anti-war activists entered the Brisbane Convention Centre on Wednesday the 1st of June through a side door to disrupt the Land Forces Weapons Expo in Brisbane. A group of 20 protesters entered the Convention Centre at 2.30pm to protest and disrupt the expo. The ABC reported that at least one protester locked onto a tank before all protesters were moved on or arrested for trespass. The Disrupt Land Forces Festival of Resistance is protesting and drawing attention to the global connections between weapons manufacturers, settler colonialism and warfare, from West Papua to Palestine to Yemen to Australia and beyond. The NDIS Minister Linda Reynolds has conceded she does not have parliamentary support for the government's proposed changes to the NDIS, including the introduction of independent assessments. This follows ongoing opposition to the changes from the disability community and advocacy organisations, who have argued that the changes will not result in fairer outcomes, but instead place participants under increased stress and risk, re-traumatising them. However, the government remains committed to introducing assessments in some form this year. And lastly, Melbourne Assessment Prison has now plunged into lockdown amidst COVID fears. Um, A Melbourne prison uh, officer um, has found to... 
potentially have the COVID virus. So hundreds of prisoners have been forced into cells at the Melbourne Assessment Prison. Uh, the High Security Corrections Facility is located um, very close to a lot of the um, city areas in Melbourne City. The senior prison officer worked at the prison on Tuesday and has been ordered to get tested, with other prisoner workers also receiving tests. And this comes as authorities this week warned that the virus could be transmitted in fleeting moments, such as walking past an infected person. Um, so, yeah, that's very scary for a lot of the people in Melbourne mm. Assessment Prison. And I'm also thinking about all of the people in prison in Victoria because prisons, um, yeah, now would have stopped again um, the in-person visits for people. So they'd yeah. be going back to just the Zoom, um, yeah, the Zoom online um, visits yeah, with yeah. family and friends. Pretty pretty rough and pretty tough to kind of navigate that again this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now we're going to go into some more community headlines um, and then uh, probably play a song. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Now we're going to go into a track by Sashim, an artist up in Minjin. This one is Gemini. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, matter of fact, all the beautiful people of this world, I'd like to welcome you on a journey where pain meets pleasure and pleasure meets pain. Aha, that's life, right? A journey where things are so real that they might seem unbelievable. But trust me, this is as real as it gets. And if you open your mind, open your soul, you might just find your truth. So sit back, put your feet up, and enjoy this ride. It's my life, baby. Get a bro. Uh, to my mind's always see the truth. I'm searching for a deeper meaning hidden in my roots. Asking questions like, will I be alright? And where the fuck do we go when we sleep at night? Many questions asked, many mental scars, a lot of trauma, and it's sitting on my sacred heart. Man, what do I do? Where do I go? All I know, I gotta breathe, I gotta take it slow. I gotta meditate, let my spirit flow. I gotta elevate, even when I'm feeling low. Even when I'm feeling down and out. I found a route, I counts with a large amount. Without a doubt, you find a debt, I found my heart. You bounce the check, I push to start. I push for more and even scores and even more. I come for your neck, now you ain't breathing no more. I be overseas, homie, please, I grow more. The scenes that I've seen, homie, people die for. I strive for Sashim is a chief, homie, cut the phone call I be overseas, homie, please, I grow more The scenes that I've seen, homie, people die for Believe in a dream I achieve, I strive for I'm a chief, cut the phone call It's like these nights are getting colder My eyes are getting older I'm seeing people different Cause I be looking closer Search between the cracks and lines so I see if I can find the real reason why I've been feeling this way And I see the light coming close each day And my brother is just bright, everything will be 
obliged to pray Cause they speak in my dreams And yes, they're speaking to me They call me Lily Girl Because they know when I see And we haven't for long And so I'm writing this song To all my brothers out there Not rewriting their wrong For song I said I'd be overseas Homie, please, I grow more The scenes that I've seen Homie, people die for Believe in a dream I achieve I strive for Sashim is a chief Homie, cut the phone cord I'd be overseas Homie, please, I grow more The scenes that I've seen Homie, people die for Believe in a dream I achieve I strive for I'm a chief, cut the fine cord. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And this is just a plug that 3CR is currently uh, running our Radiothon fundraiser. And uh, we really encourage people to chip in if you can. You know, this is community-powered radio, and we really, you know, rely on your support to keep this radio station going and to keep us bringing you alternative news, views, and current affairs um, that you really want to hear. So we love doing this, and we love making this content for you, but obviously it's not possible without a little bit of money. So uh, we're trying to raise funds. You can uh, call in to donate, so you can call on 94198377, or you can donate online at 3cr.org.au. And yeah, any little helps, um, please do chip in if you can. Spread the word. Yeah, so this Radiothon, we need to raise $250,000 to keep 3CR on air. Um, so yeah, help us by putting aside your coins or cash and donating during um, the 7th to the 20th of June. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so now we're going to go to an interview uh, by Anna Carlson with Jamal Nabulsi, who's a diaspora Palestinian writer and researcher living on the unceded sovereign lands of the Jagara and Turbul peoples. His research explores intersections between emotion and resistance through analyzing Palestinian practices of graffiti and hip-hop music. Here, Anna and Jamal discuss some of the Palestinian justice organizing that has happened as part of the Disrupt Land Forces Expo. Palestinians have always resisted colonization, not even just since 1948, but before that as well. And yeah, trying to highlight some of those ways um, in saying that this recent outpour of Palestinian resistance is, um, uh, in some ways, isn't isn't new in that it's it's comes in a long, long line of constant, ongoing Palestinian resistance, and that takes these more kind of overt forms as it has been recently, but also just constantly through that history in it's sustained in more everyday forms as well. At the border to Palestine, the Israeli border officials um, find this kind of stuff uh, about me online, like they won't let me in, they'll ban me from entering Palestine for life potentially. Um, and so I'd been, yeah, kind of holding back to, to wait just for one last um, trip to, to Palestine, basically. Um, like they have, you know, from, from being in the 
the you know Israeli officers at the border getting interrogated. They have posters all over the office about BDS. Um, oh yeah, all kinds of stuff about it on there. So it's you know that's it's really the main thing. But so basically, yeah, I guess with this recent outpour, I was sort of just like. I, I can't, I can't wait anymore and I've got to just accept that maybe I won't get back in again and, and just kind of unleash, I guess. Um, and so, well, I mean, I've always been supportive of BDS, um, in principle, but have been doing stuff more behind closed doors until now. Um, yeah. and so now I'm, you know, finally able and prepared to like openly advocate for BDS and, um, one of the big targets uh, for BDS at the moment is Elbit, um, which is a um, company, an Israeli company um, that creates um, like military equipment and surveillance equipment um, that is yeah used in the colonization of Palestine and the murder of Palestinians. Um, and they're one of the companies who are... Um, uh, presenting at the at the Land Forces Expo. Um, I guess that's why I was particularly encouraged in in being there, but. Um, also because of intersectionality, right? Like, yeah. And seeing that this is a global industry, like this is a global weapons industry. Um, and although BDS targets like specific Israeli companies, also it makes connections to other places. And, um, even for example, in tackling Elbert, like they are using like states around the world are using their equipment to, um, like oppress and surveil, um, countless other populations. Um, so drawing the connections there and, and with the broader kind of, um, yeah, in industry. It's not just a war over stolen land. Why do you think little boys are throwing stones at tanks? And we'll never really know how many people are dead. They drop bombs on innocent girls. The protests, the, the broader land force, disrupt land forces protest, um, were sort of, they, they set up a little camp at the main entrance, I guess, um, which was, yeah, pretty amazing. There's people there the whole day, um, yeah, disrupting the, the expo. Um, so we went down there um, to that spot and brought a projector and projected up onto the wall of the, um, of the exhibition centre, um, one by one um, photos of the Palestinian um, kids who have been killed in the past uh, couple of weeks in Gaza. Um, and someone read out their names as well, um, one by one. And, um, yeah, I guess just held a bit of time there um, in their memory and, yeah, I guess connected it directly to the the weapons company who are companies who are actively profiting um from those murders mm -hmm. um and very directly um elbit for example um because them and, and other like 
Israeli weapons manufacturers, what they do and do very openly um, is they test their they test their weapons on Gaza, and um, it's essentially their their weapons um, laboratory. They test their weapons on Gazans. They test them by murdering Gazans, and then they come to expos like this, um, and they boast about that and say, "Look how effective our weapons are." Um, and do that shamelessly as well, like just out in the open. And that's one of the reasons why they sell so many weapons as well, because unlike some other manufacturers, like they're tried and tested. Yeah. So we really wanted to just kind of, um, yeah, assert the, the personal impact of that on, um, yeah, on Palestinians. Um, yeah, it was an incredibly, um, an incredibly powerful intervention, I think, into that space and a reminder of the, um, another reminder, there have of course been a lot over the course of Disrupt Land Forces, but another really critical reminder of the gravity of what's being, what's happening in that place, right, that um, one of those really um, kind of bizarre things is watching people walk in with their takeaway coffee in the morning, you know, like striding past you, just going to a conference you know and that i think that reminder of the gravity of what's actually happening there is absolutely critical yeah like i totally agree with what you just said and like how detached they are from the reality of the violence that um you know those those weapons that they're selling in there um and just then we heard an interview between Anna Carlson from 4ZZZ's Radio Reversal and she was speaking with Jamal Nabulsi, a diaspora Palestinian writer and researcher Researcher living on the unceded sovereign lands of the Yagara and Turubal peoples. Um, and that really loud track that was played um, in the middle of um, that interview between Anna and Jamal was Loki's track Free Palestine. And I think I'm just going to be bumping that track all day. Um, but also, I just wanted to let listeners know that Jamal Nabulsi um, just released an article in Overland. And so definitely check that out. It's called Writing the History of Palestine. Um, and it's just a really um, in-depth historical article about Palestine and Nakba. Um, but yeah, Malika, now we're going to go into the next interview. Yeah, we're now going to hear a speech by Tabitha Lean, who was part of the program Infrastructural Inequalities, Resistant Media and Abolitionist Futures. Um, infrastructural Inequalities is a journal and public program that investigates how infrastructural systems distribute resources, capacities and harms in differentiated and unjust ways. Tabitha Lean is a Gunishmara woman, activist, storyteller and lived experience abolitionist. Um, and she, uh, Tabitha speaks about why she's an abolitionist and how abolition is a framework for organising a long-term goal and a way of living life. Bunyata everyone, my name is Tabitha, as my ancestors know me, Budaminyan. I'm a Gunditjmara woman born and raised on Ghana Yurta. I'm zooming in today from the lands of the Ghana people and I pay my respects to their elders and thank the Ghana people for their ongoing custodianship of this country. 
always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I'd also like to acknowledge any of the sovereign lands that any of you are um, joining us from today and acknowledge um, fellow Indigenous people, both on the panel and those in the audience. And I specifically want to pay my respects right now to my brothers, sisters and kin who are currently sitting in cages on their own country, my brothers, sisters and kin who are currently enduring carceral violence, torture, and for many of our sisters and children, sexual violence sanctioned by the state. It is for them that I raise my lived experience voice. I just want to make a note here to let you know, um, any Indigenous people in the audience, I will, throughout my presentation, will contain the names of some deceased people. Um, I'm a criminalised black woman, having spent two years in prison, an accumulated two years on home detention, and I'm still tethered to the system on parole. I am number 177057. I've made mistakes in my past and some of them were despicable. My face was splashed across the TV and newspapers and my life became a magazine anyone could thumb through. And the reason I'm telling you this is not to offer myself up for your judgment because I am absolutely not doing that, but because I know that most people like their information packaged in these bundles of objectivity, but that's not what today's talk is about and that's not what I'm about. I've been given 10 minutes to yarn with you today, and many of you know that I'm an abolitionist, a staunch and unwavering and unapologetic abolitionist. But today I want to use my experience to tell you why I'm an abolitionist and why I think abolition is a common sense idea and why I think abolition is the only way I think any of us blackfellas can survive this colony. When I went to prison, I thought it was the worst day of my life. In fact, I thought it was the end of my life. I mean, going to prison is like descending into the depths of hell. Every person in a blue uniform is like a foot soldier of the devil himself. And in some ways, going to prison was the end of my life, that life, because walking through those prison gates forever altered my dialogical relationship with the state and, frankly, with the broader community. Add to that, I was torn away from my children, my family, and I was taken into Adelaide Women's Prison to sit in a cage. I cried for the entire first 10 months, silently in my cell and silently in the showers because God forbid you showed any weakness to anyone in that place or any sign of mental distress because you'd be thrown in a hard cell in solitary. For those long 10 months, I barely left my cell, only to venture out occasionally to play a game of cards with someone who might have smiled back at you when you glanced at them. I mourned my life, my kids, my liberty, and I was scared. I was so scared that when I went to prison and they asked me, are you Aboriginal at intake, I hesitated. And now that's a really shameful thing for me to admit. And frankly, I think this might be the first time I've actually ever said it to anyone other than my own head. So when they asked me that, I, I hesitated, I paused, because, I mean, I have fair skin. I could pass right. Now, I know how much privilege that drips me in, and I, I feel shame saying it, but I actually for a moment thought I could pass as white because, for me, white skin equals safety in prison. So I said with hesitation and a nervous stutter, I don't want to tell you. And so with their unsmiling eyes and their scowled mouth and their angry eyebrows, they looked back at me. And they looked back at their paperwork, which, by the way, is always in some sort of manila folder, like as if they've had a case file on you for your entire life. And they looked me in the eyes and said, well, the system says you're Aboriginal. You don't want to start your prison life off with a lie. 
And I paused because all I could hear was this like ringing in my ears and the words prison and life dancing around in my brain because those two words seemed an oxymoron to me. Life, in prison, life. I say that because for so many of my people and for my community, prison literally sucks the life out of us. It extinguishes life-giving oxygen from our lungs. It consumes our communities, our families, our brothers, sisters, aunties and uncles. And God, I was scared that day. Not just scared of the prison environment and the people in there. I was scared that I would be killed, not by fellow prisoners, but by the ones in blue shirts. And, you know, even today that fear has not dissipated. I've just learned to live with the fear, learned to live with the constant anxiety, panic, and I exist in this hyper-aware state, constantly scanning for threat. I live with that fear and the ongoing onslaught of sexual violence and abuse at the hands of the state every fortnight that I present at a parole meeting. Every single one of us caught in the carceral net exists in this state of surveillance, hypervigilance and shame of constantly being seen. So I endured and I survived. I survived those two years inside and I got out of prison into home detention. It was tough, but again, I survived. And now I'm on parole and I'm again trying to survive. And I don't even think that I've gotten to the living bit yet because it seems that the devil's playground exists above ground too, an open air prison with no barbed wire except that which binds your heart and spirit. But the thing is that with my survival came a responsibility, a responsibility to the mob still sitting in cages, hence my work on abolition. Because the thing about prisons and punishment is that it's relentless. It's why those of us in the system talk about perpetual punishment. It never ends. Just this week, I have been manoeuvred into a position where I've had to resign from a position at a university. This has come about because some people won't ever let you forget who you were in a very small moment of time. Some people want to drag you back to the past and force you to stay there. And that's the thing about perpetual punishment. This is how the system is constructed. In my case, the system has cast me as a savage yet to be tamed. And some, sadly, some members of the broader community become the vigilante enforcers of this regime. They take on the surveillance of the state and become judge, jury and executioner because they have internalised this pull to vengeance. And I'm not even sure that they realise that the pull to vengeance is an impulse of the state. They have swallowed the carceral Kool-Aid and become unofficial agents of the state. And mark my words, the carceral state relies on this. But the thing about having a record is that we can't complain. We can't get angry. We have to remain silent, contrite and quiet. We can't make waves. We can't fight back. We can't even mutter the words, this isn't fair, you're victimising me. And that's because the system is stacked against us and it's stacked unfairly against black fellows, and that is deliberate. It doesn't matter how good I am, how reformed I am, how much effort I put in, how many times I reinvent myself, I will always be a criminal. Maybe one day I'll be an ex-con if I'm lucky. My existence in some spaces will forever be a problem. Now, this isn't me doing a poor woe is me because I'm very aware of my debt to the state and to the community. But I guess I'm asking you all in the audience today whether you are happy that this kind of justice is meted out in your name. Because let me tell you that everything that happens to me and continues to happen to me is happening because of you. This system is designed to keep people like you safe from people like me. So I wonder... You know, when do you think my debt to society will be considered paid? When should I be free? When I came out of jail? When I finished parole? Is it in 10 years' time while I'm still rejected from workplaces because I can't get a police clearance? Will it be when I'm 80 
and have lived 78 good years to my two bad ones? Or is it when I finally die? And die we do. Our people are being killed by this system, whether it's behind bars, in the backs of correctional services vans like Brother Fella Morrison, in police cells like Miss Do, in the streets like too many of our kids, or in our bedrooms like Brother Kumajay Walker. We are killed. We do not die in custody. We are killed. We are killed by the state. We are systematically broken down to a six-digit number. I know because I am 177057. I am one of this country's disposable people and every single week I struggle to survive a system designed to kill, dehumanise and eradicate my kind. And this is why abolition is the only common sense option for me. This is why I argue that abolition might be the only thing that breathes life back into my communities and into the lungs of my people. So abolition for me is crucial and it's urgent. It's so damned urgent. It isn't a catchphrase for me, nor is it a whim or a slogan for a sticker on my laptop or a word on my T-shirt. My people cannot wait for the rest of so-called Australia to see the value in abolishing systems that suck the life from our communities. We can't wait until your social media profiles fill up with black squares or another life is taken on international soils for you to care about the lives of our mob here in this country. We must start to imagine a different kind of justice, a justice free of prisons, policing and surveillance. This is an opportunity to imagine a future free of punishment, imprisonment and exile. And, you know, abolition might sound like a radical idea, but my people have been working towards it for decades. In fact, we've been fighting against the enslaving and incarcerating of our people for 233 years. Safety, individual and community safety cannot come without freedom and justice because who we are and what we are comes from the alchemy of our struggles. If we dismantle systems that cage and punish, we can explicitly fight genocide and dispossession and create a world focused on radical reciprocity and accountability. So if you're banging on about decolonisation in your workplaces, pedagogies, classrooms, policies, organisations and articles, and you are not an abolitionist, well, then you are not decolonising. If you are judging people and exiling them, and punishing people, then you are an agent of the carceral state. Because abolition absolutely requires us all to disentangle ourselves from the pull to vengeance, the pull to retribution and revenge, the pull to punishment, the pull to surveillance, and the pull to act like a cop. And yes, that means even the little cop in your head that judges your neighbour or the mother at the supermarket. And for me, abolition is not just about getting rid of cages. It's about actually undoing the parts of society that continue to feed on and maintain the oppression of masses of my people through punishment, violence and control. Because the prison industrial complex isn't an isolated system. So abolition must be a broad strategy. And so I'm interested in building models today that develop and represent how we want to live in the future. I see abolition as a practical organising tool and a long-term goal and a way of living. So I end up this part of my yarn I just want to issue a call of action. Right now, my friend and my kin, Latoya and her family, are sitting in the Supreme Court of South Australia fighting for answers, truth and justice for their brother, Wayne Feller Morrison, who was killed in the backs of a correctional services van at Yatla Labor Prison here on Ghana land. Not only are they fighting for their brother, but they are fighting for every black person who is in jail, who will go to jail, who has been to jail. So please get behind them, sign their petition to ban the use of spit hoods and please put your money where your decolonial abolition mouth is and donate to their GoFundMe because that family, like all the black families who have had people taken from them by this system, your system, 
are on the front lines. They are battling a system designed to shield itself and protect its own kind. But they turn up every single day, every single damn day, to hear things that no family member should ever have to hear or bear witness to, the grossest acts of conspiracy and silence. So I look at it this way. We have to wage war against the system. And all that is left is to decide which, to decide which side you're on. And if you want to breathe life back into people, into communities, into this world, if you want to prioritise healing over harm, abundance over scarcity, love over hate, life over death, then roll your sleeves up and get to work. You're, you're listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. We just heard a speech by Tabitha Lean um, from the program Infrastructural Inequalities, Resistant Media and Abolitionist Futures. Hey, you mob. It's up to all of us to keep checking in when we're out. Checking in is the quick and easy way to stop the spread of coronavirus and keep protecting our elders, communities and each other. Before you leave home, download the Service Victoria app and keep checking in because checking in keeps us safe and open. Stay deadly, stay safe. More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. And now we're going to listen to some speeches from up in Minjin from the Disrupt Land Forces demonstrations. So we're going to hear part of a speech by Ula, a Syrian refugee who is an organiser with the Socialist Alternative and the current Environment Officer at the University of Queensland Union. And also um, we're going to hear speeches from Andy Payne and interviews with Sam Watson Jr. and George from Free West Papua. My name's Andy Payne. We're at the Brisbane Convention and Exhibition Centre in South Brisbane, and we're here as part of Disrupt Land Forces, which is a convergence organised in response to Land Forces Defence Expo, which is a massive gathering of arms manufacturers um, and military representatives from the Asia-Pacific region. There's over 300 companies showcasing their products, you know, weapons, uh, you know, military accessories, computer systems, things like that. So uh, Land Forces is one of the biggest weapons expos uh, in this part of the world and it happens in Brisbane and so we've come together to try to resist it.
So tell me a bit about why you think it's important to disrupt events like this. Like what's the, why are people converging around this particular moment? Well, I think there's a few reasons. I think one is that a lot of these companies just fly under the radar. Most people would struggle to name 10 arms manufacturers, let alone 300. And so a lot of these companies just sort of, uh, they play a role in something that most people are opposed to, war. And not just war, but the militarization of everyday life, the the arms races, the build-up of weapons that will ever actually never be used. Um, but also, you know, selling weapons overseas to you know, support authoritarian regimes or invasions or repression of protests, etc. So I think partly it's to just not let this go unnoticed, that this is going on and that these companies are profiting from this. And I think as well, the Queensland State Government is a major sponsor of this event, which is crazy really. It's a sales expo for private companies. A lot of these companies are huge. They're some of the biggest corporations in the world, Lockheed Martin, British Aerospace, Boeing. They don't need the Queensland government supporting their business, but it's done out of this attempt to gain uh, manufacturing contracts for Bris- for Queensland, but also, of course, done out of this mythology of war, you know, and the supporting the troops and soldiers and, and the, this kind of culture. And so, I think we need to resist that as well, and um, and say. Our, we don't want our taxpayers' money going to this, and we also don't want to go along with this idea that there's something noble about these huge companies profiting over the death and destruction. Hey, I'm Sam Watson. I'm a Wanjirabara Birigaba person. Um, Brisbane Aboriginal activist. Um, we're here at uh, the Brisbane Convention Centre because the Land Forces Expo is going on and um, we want to disrupt it. Yeah, awesome. Tell me a little bit about the Land Forces Expo. What's going on inside? Inside are uh, weapons companies and uh, weapon uh, war logistics companies are uh, um, exhibiting some of their new products. Um, Rheinmetall have tanks. Uh, DB Shanker have um, heavy heavy infantry vehicles. Um, Albert and EOS uh, are showing off some of their new weapons. Um, and these are weapons that go out um, from these companies to around the world to, to cause uh, mayhem and, and suffering um, and destruction and death. Um, there's companies here who are who, who have links all the way from Nazi Germany and using concentration camp labour um, to make their wealth and to, to prop up their business. And there are companies who today are still, um, you know, providing weapons for uh, apartheid and for genocide um, in places like West Papua and Palestine and Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, there's also the Australian Defence Force here, um, the, and the federal police who have been training um, Indonesia's military, uh, training them how to how to commit genocide and how to commit massacres against West Papuans. So we're here because we want to shut it down. We don't want it in our town. We don't want it to happen anywhere. And if we can make it so that they can't have this conference anywhere, well, then they can't have this conference at all. Do you want to tell me a bit about, like, so we're obviously on unceded Yuggera and Turrbal land. Why is it particularly important in the context of Indigenous solidarity movements to protest actions like this? 
Well, as as a First Nations person from this continent, you know, I I feel immensely for the people in West Papua, people in Palestine, people in the Middle East who are suffering war and genocide because I know that my people have gone through that. And I know that, um, you know, these people's struggles are intimately linked with ours. We can't end colonialism or, or capitalism in one place without ending it everywhere. Um, you know, and if it falls in one place, then it's weaker everywhere else. So it's really important to support um, the struggles internationally too. Um, and, you know, these weapons companies, I mentioned that they were, you know, making weapons that were going over um, around the world, but they're also making weapons that are, um, you know, being used right here. Um, they're making weapons for federal police, for, um, for the defence force that are being used here. Um, and they're, they're making logistics um, that are being used here. You know, facial recognition, uh, vocal recognition, um, you know, GPS uh, tracking and surveillance systems um, that are being used on, on activists, on um, land defenders, on, um, you know, any kind of agitator, anyone that they want, um, anyone who, have, who the police have an interest in, in bullying and harassing and, and repressing. Um, they're, using, they're using here and they're, you know, they're, they're being shown off like it's, like it's an exciting thing. And we're here to say that, you know, no, this is fucked and we won't stand for it. You referred to this disrupt armed forces as a bit of a convergence. You want to talk about some of the people who are converging here and some of the, um, the quite diverse um, articulations of the problem of the weapons expo that are being made in the space today? Like, who's here and why are they concerned about the weapons expo? Yeah, so I mentioned a couple of different campaigners then, but also there's been a real effort by Disrupt Land Forces to give voice to people who are on the end of some of the weapons that are sold in here. People are on the frontiers of violence, and so we had a Syrian refugee speak this morning. We've had West Papuans come. That's one of the most militarised places in the earth and a place where a lot of weapons from here are actually being sold to. There's actually Indonesian reps here. Um, indigenous people from Australia um, and uh, Latin Americans as well because, you know, unending wars there. And so a real, a, we've had a vigil for Palestine um, who, of course, are frequently on the end of guns but also Israel's main export is weapons, actually. That, state and so the when you talk about boycotting Israel the arms industry is one of the most significant ways to do that because it's actually what well, the export so a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and then of course we've got you know people whose political concerns vary and militarism you know leeches out into so many aspects of our society and so we've had people come and talk about all different issues Uh, my name is Georgi Dimara. I am one of the political activists to free West Papua. I live in Cairns, but at the moment uh, I'm here in front of the exhibition centre to uh, taking part in this protest to oppose the manufacture of the modern weapons from tanks and uh, machine gun 
and other uh, military equipment to establish and uh, some of them been sell to Indonesia and right now Indonesian using all this uh, military equipment been ordering from Australia, America, Germany to kill people in West Papua. So right now the conflict in the central islands in West Papua, the Intanjaya, they're using uh, all these uh, military equipment, drone and missile to attack the gorilla who didn't have uh, modern technology equipment to against uh, Indonesian military. So this is a best opportunity to me and other West Papuan to come along to taking part in this protest because uh, even we, we are in a small number, but uh, through to this protest, uh, we can speak out through to the media and tell the international community that uh, Indonesian military operation in West Papua was totally against uh, the international law, especially against the people and army. And then uh, this is a part of the crime against humanity. And we will uh, continue to oppose this uh, military operation, brutality, and then uh, we will never be down. We will never stop, but we will speak out more and more to the international community. But uh, right now we want to say uh, thank you so much for everyone who at the moment uh, supporting this protest and also uh, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this program, uh, God bless you all and uh, hopefully you will continue to oppose and speak out about the war. We anti-war. We don't want war anymore in this nation, this region of Pacific region because we got the wonderful people, hospitality people, and then uh, we want uh, peace and harmony. So once again, thank you so much for uh, having me here and God bless you. So there's been a bit of talk over the um, over the course of Disrupt Land Forces 2021 about the military-industrial complex. For listeners who haven't heard of this concept before, do you want to give us a rundown? Yeah, so the military-industrial complex was a phrase coined actually by former American President Dwight Eisenhower in his uh, farewell-to-office speech after uh, John F. Kennedy took power, and he, he sort of gave a, a bit of a warning about you know, the state of politics at that time during the Cold War and the arms race that came with it and said that actually there's a number of companies that it's in their interest to drive this arms race and that every, you know, weapon that is built is money that comes out of social services. And it's sort of a, a famous speech and that's where that phrase comes from. And so I think it's important to recognise, you know, when we talk about war between nations. It's such a small part of the equation, you know, one country going to war with another. There's companies all the time are manufacturing new weapons, new weapon systems, you know, there's almost certainly people in there showing off uh, artificial intelligence weapons, lethal autonomous weapons, which is sort of the next step in warfare. The other night when we blocked trucks from entering, one of them was an unmanned combat vehicle, like a kind of 
giant remote control car with guns and so these kind of technological advances and these companies sort of push these as you need to have these to the governments you need to have this otherwise you'll be you know outmuscled by other countries they're also they're in think tanks you know like you see the Australian Strategic Policy Institute constantly talking about the upcoming war with China and it comes out in politicians rhetoric as well China's our major trading partner well we should try to be trying to avoid it at all costs like we should all wars you know but um there's this whole um, industry of not just corporations but people you know getting in their these high contracts you get there's a revolving door of personnel between government military and these big arms dealers they either get a cushy position on the board or they're actually a lobbying position to lobby you know people come out of the defense department sometimes the defense minister we had Christopher Pine here today at land forces turning up who's now on the board of something like six arms manufacturers and was former defense minister so there's this revolving door of you know lobbying you need this and um, and so even in peacetime there's just this constant build up an immense amount of money Australia's military expenditure is 44 billion dollars a year and um, most of that stuff just sits around never being used but there's this whole industry constantly driving that up and it is always driving up you know the Morrison government's committed an extra 270 billion over 10 years on top of that and so um, that's what we talk what we mean when we say the military industrial complex I think one of the things that we've tried to do here is not just highlight what's going on at disrupt at land forces but to disrupt it and it's been a a strategic thing to say we want to get in the way we want to cause such a ruckus that it is difficult to run this event and the Queensland state government when it comes up in two years time to do it again is going to say we're not doing that it's just too much trouble and so we've blocked them loading vehicles in to set up um, we've gone out to different companies and today on the first day of the expo we've been here all day um, making an awful racket of noise and sort of being in in that space uh, making sure people can't go in and out without seeing us and so it's a real attempt at disruption and there's a strategy around that you know and this is like direct action and um, sort of frontline taking on of the military industrial complex and just then we heard some audio from the Disrupt Land Forces demonstrations up in Minjin. And now we're going to head to a track. This one is The Times by Remy, Sensible J and Tyler Daly. From life tied to living it. I've cried rivers, I'm still tired for swimming it. I've been missing my youth and my innocence. I got dirt, this glue to my fingertips. I tried picking it up, tried mixing it, tried to bribe and hop tie the witnesses. Passport stamp with times I tried skipping them. Border to build new life just like immigrants. Ain't no mountain, no valley. 
old way that hide the mind's images. Flashback, keep be trapped as a prisoner of bad habits and glad bags of indigo. Split ashes till I'm ashes, till I flip ass kiss. There's no chance of quitting this. And all my friends act as if they do not have shit in their past. They wish they didn't do. Make me feel our cars like hootie hoo. Make my wounds turn dark and shade blue. Make me pray to stay in my cable day till I fade away. Shave food. Make me feel like fakers in fashion. Make me feel like I do not suit. Make me cut you all off like fuck you, your loss. Don't care what it costs me. Nobody I can blame. Trying to keep myself sane, yeah. I just can't run from the tide. Nobody's willing to change. Till it all goes up in flames, yeah. I just can't run from the tide. I know I've been blessed. And Lord, you know me best. I just can't. I might lay your verse on it I can relate to running away from many things And I'd like to say some words on it I've been up and down and round and round On this roller coaster thing we call life Where I smile so most think I'm alright But they don't know I shed tears a whole night Put a front on for these snakes that we run with I've lost family, friends to this dumb shit Best advice is keep yourself to yourself Don't poke your nose in on some homesy home shit Yeah, and no good deed goes unpunished So I ain't giving these hoes no money No more lens for friends I can't even appreciate all of this time they take from it i know they hate on me i don't even care i'm here living my life like prince of belair got pounds of cali and drinks everywhere i wear fancy clothes and tints for the glare yeah let them think what they want to think my reality getting close to the brink i'm trying to put myself up together with missing links but every time i build myself up they're making me shrink and feel small fuck it i still ball if i put my life on the line but you still call tired of being that guy you are flowing on carry all this weight around i ain't got no one to share my issues cause i got shit To. Yeah. The piles of this unresolved shit to get through I leave a room and a roll of tissue uh. To deal with the grief, Lord knows I miss you Nobody I can blame Gotta keep myself sane, yeah I just can't run from the tide Nobody's willing to change Till it all goes up in flames, yeah I just can't run from the tide I know I've been blamed Feel like tied my ligaments Fly still laid I feel the fight kicking in I've been learning to live in the skin I'm in Now I sit in the sun Catch vitamin Now I head to the shore Find water Let it wash over my forehead Like kissing it Now I open the door Without sawing up Aimed at the people I love I was villainous Torch villages Burnt those bridges Cut support So the A-Walk won't fix it Without the syphilis I burnt those sisters Eat bank on spiders Or go missing No vision Solo slipping Solo kilos of dope on lifting One more choke Might blow my chances I might choke And they close my business If I don't chase my dreams I don't sleep If I don't sauté beats We don't eat Means I fuck my partner I didn't dream too So that when this is true We won't speak And who do you blame When this is your name man I lose brain Cobain and OD Time to dust myself off And love myself Cause I know what this cost me You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is just past 8.05 in the morning. The track you just heard was The Times by Remy, Sensible J, and Tyler Daly. 
Now we're going to go to an interview with Narita White, CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, uh, to discuss the recent uh, Victorian budget, but also issues with the Victorian state's bail laws. I'm speaking with Narita White, who's the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, or VALS, and Narita joins me to talk about the need for bail reforms in Victoria and also about some concerns around funding needs for Aboriginal legal services in Victoria. Narita, thank you for joining me. Thank you. So the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service drafted and sent a letter to the Victorian state government on the 28th of May highlighting the urgent need for bail reform in the state. And this letter has been co-signed by a range of human rights and law groups and focuses on concerns about the inappropriate restriction of bail granted to Aboriginal people uh, per recommendations in the Royal Commission into, the, into Aboriginal deaths in custody. So could you begin by telling us a bit about the bail laws as they currently stand um, after some reforms that happened in 2017 and how they've operated in practice? Sure. Through a number of changes, the Andrews government put the onus on defendants to prove they have um, exceptional circumstances in order to access bail. And this is the opposite of what's actually recommended by the Royal Commission for Birth and Custody, which said that access to bail should be increased. Um, those changes were made hastily after a very tragic incident um, in the state of Victoria, um, and as a result, um, were made largely not based on evidence but based on emotion. And the evidence is overwhelming that the Andrews government's bail laws disproportionately affect marginalised groups, effectively criminalising them for being different. Average surrounded people, migrants, women, queer and non-binary people, and disabled people all facing extra challenges in their system because of these bail laws. You know, it was reported that recently that Aboriginal women are imprisoned at 20 times the rate of Aboriginal women, which is a disgrace and utterly heartbreaking, particularly when we see ever-increasing rates of removal of our children, um, mm. which is now effectively created another fallen generation. Um, and we also take into account um, that imprisoned women and mothers and also primary carers, it's evident that the government barrels are at odds with two of its commitments under closing the gap agreement, so reducing the incarceration of Aboriginal people and reducing a recommendation of Aboriginal children being removed from their families. It's indisputable that these laws that increase the amount of weight harm women, many of whom are victimised of family violence, but they also impact on the principle of respect for family life under the condition of the rights of the child. They also don't advance community safety. Many of the people that we see getting reminded um, are those with disabilities or those with mental health conditions uh, who are better served um, in being supported by communities to address those issues in order to stop them from often killing all the petty crime like shoplifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these crimes are committed out of poverty, wanting to put food in your mouth because you don't have money um, or the means to pay for it, trying to get a roof over your head because you don't have a house, mm-hmm. trying just to survive. Um, and particularly after COVID-19, these things have just increased. Yeah. Um, each and every day, we've seen increases in self-harm reports of uh, people in custody by 450%. Mm-hmm. And they're just sitting there in police cells and they shouldn't be. They should be out in the community. They should be being served and being protected and being supported to be contributing members of society. That is what increases community safety, not imprisoning people who are homeless or queer um, or disabled just for trying to take care of the basic needs. Um, if you look at people like Michael Nelson, who was denied bail on shoplifting charges, there can be incredibly tragic circumstances that lead to the death of these people in prison. Mm. Um, you know, poor Veronica 
um, was arrested for shoplifting and remanded. And, and then later, she died at Dane Phillips Frost. You know, she was just an Aboriginal woman who had a lot of challenges in her life mm. because of the impact of systemic racism. She had access to culturally safe support services. She didn't need to be thrown in a jail cell. She didn't need to lose her life. Absolutely. It is just you know, one really tragic example of how these bail laws aren't working and also how the, the criminal justice system um, is sort of set up to, to fail people in general. Um, so what do VALS and co-signing organisations call for in the letter? What changes um, sh- uh, should be made? We're calling for bail reform that would end the current crisis. The current prison population has exploded. It's costing taxpayers billions of dollars. It's increasing the rate of over-incarceration and entrenching the generational trauma and inequality that our people are trying to come up with 230 years of colonial oppression. Now, we're just asking for a fair justice system. Mm. We're just asking to reverse the changes that were made out of gut instincts rather than evidence-based policy. We're asking the government to lead, not to follow. We're asking them to follow their moral conscience um, and their desire and want um, as seen by a lot of industries putting place black like convictions, black like public drunkenness. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in terms of thinking about, you know, government making the right choices um, on this angle, I want to turn to the most recent Victorian budget, which was handed down on Thursday, the 20th of May. And Vals has raised some serious concerns about the government's lack of funding commitment to Aboriginal legal services. Um, So could you take us through some of the budget outcomes for Vals? Uh, to take you through the budget outcomes of that, it's pretty short. We uh, didn't see any um, significant investment. Uh, generalist legal services um, and court systems saw $210 million. What VALS received was $1 million per annum for two years to mm. fund a pilot that can't be funded on that amount, um, but also that we can't do because um, our current backlog requires an additional injection of funds for at least $5.8 million per annum. Um, so it was a very poor outcome for us. This yeah. budget was saw as an opportunity for Daniel Andrews and Jacqueline Snyder to empower Aboriginal communities by providing sustainable funding to us to improve those outcomes and particularly to help them meet their close the gap um, justice targets but also um, their low obligation, um, which is again enacted in treating and treating justice, to advance justice for Aboriginal people. Yeah, it's, it's just absolutely appalling to see... Um, such little investment in this area um, that it's completely unsustainable. So how does this compare to the funding need and service demand and what changes have you made to adjust to this massive shortfall? Mm, I'm sure it won't surprise you to hear that demand for our service is putting value on their mix straight. Mm. Um, and those strains are caused not by our own doing um, or by mm. communities, but by the strict law or the policy that has been implemented by this government. Um, and as a result... Our lawyers have 135 each compared to the sector recommendation of 50. Mm. Those workloads are untenable, not only from occupational health and safety risk and to caring for our staff, but also from ensuring that our communities have access to quality representation. Mm-hmm. As a result, you know, the board and I, we have to make a really tough decision to freeze meat and client intake for at least three months, so we expect that to be expanded possibly till early next year. These decisions are hard. These decisions mean that Aboriginal people go without culturally safe legal services. It means that they'll go into poor unrepresented and get poor outcomes. It means greater abortion will end up on remand and thus increase the death and custody risk. This is not something we take lightly, but until we have 
a serious injection of funds to help cope with the caseload that the law and order justice agenda um, of this government creates. There's nothing more we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you've said, and I just want to emphasize for listeners, this is this is not a problem that originates either in the Aboriginal community or with VALS, but from failing to fund such important services uh, to prevent people from, you know, having to go through these processes in the first place. Um, so how do the state's funding priorities around legal support versus carceral expansion track against, uh, I mean, within this budget, but also against past budgets? What have we seen over time? Mm. Look, in the last four to five years, the Andrews government spent billions and billions of dollars on funding expansion. They've also spent billions of dollars on police. That's billions of dollars of new funding on top of their existing recurrent funding. Mm. Yet, they've seen very little investment, obviously, in Aboriginal legal services, but also in social supports like housing, um, like mental, I mean, um, like substance abuse. Um, I've seen some great investment in mental health this budget, which is fantastic. But a lot of the other social supports go unnoticed um, and underfunded, and means that we're not really creating a safe and equitable future for society. Rather, we're creating one that's unjust and it continues to push people through the justice system as punishment for being poor and underprivileged. Yeah. And when we look at what we're asking for, you know, we're asking for really a drop in the ocean. We were saying, you know, provide us with $26.5 million over four years and we will deliver a place-based dedicated Aboriginal legal service that will prevent people going into custody, so save police and corrections millions and millions of dollars. But we'll also ensure that we're helping you meet your targets that you agreed to in, do- in things like close the gap, um, in things like um, policy statements around treaties and truth and justice, um, around addressing um, child removal, family violence. Um, we're here and ready to help you do that. We just need the funding to achieve it. Absolutely. Um, now, I just wanted to turn to a more uh, recent concern as well. I mean, this is recent as in the past few weeks, but also during the current lockdown, um, there have been concerns raised as well about vaccination needs for people who are incarcer- incarcerated rather in Victorian prisons. And I know Vals has recently articulated some concerns about this. So I was just wondering if you could touch on that. Yeah, so um, quite some time ago, um, there was the COVID-19 recovery plan called Build Back Better, which you can find also on our social account, as well as our website. And as part of that, we pushed strongly um, to ensure that staff and contractors working um, and people detained in prison facilities should be priority to COVID-19 vaccines mm-hmm. in, rich, in recognition of the increased risk of exposure and transmission detention facilities and the fact that many incarcerated children and adults have underlying health conditions and thus an increased risk of dying or becoming seriously ill from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredibly common for our communities to have um, things like high rates of diabetes, heart disease, respiratory illnesses, cancer, um, and particularly when we're talking about those who are going in out of the remand who are often homeless, often without consistent medical care, mental health support, it's incredibly important that we're prioritising their health to reduce their risk of transmission, but also increasing community safety by vaccinating them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And really, hopefully, um, you know, the government will start uh, moving some of that vaccination rollout a bit more quickly for some of those urgent workers. We've seen changes in aged care and disability uh, care support workers getting vaccinated, which arguably has already been happening a bit too late. Um, but hopefully we start seeing this soon in the in the carceral system as well, where people are so vulnerable 
um, to COVID-19. So finally, um, could you tell us a little bit about the Wearaway Specialist Legal Practice and Fundraiser that um, you have going at the moment? Sure. So Wearaway was started last year for Black Lives Matter movement for surgeon support for Aboriginal justices in Australia. It's established off our own um, donations from the general public um, and also some grants from some philanthropic bodies. Um, we always support Aboriginal and other people in cases where there's been mistreatment by government departments of staff, which obviously includes mistreatment by police officers or prison staff. Mm-hmm. It is also the area where all of our unfunded colonial work occurs. So, mm-hmm. um, as I'm sure many of those who are familiar with our business and our services on uh, listening, we um, have had an increase in death and custody in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So we've seen Veronica Nelson, we've seen Tanya Day, um, we've seen many, many more. Mm-hmm. All of those families require representation and social support. So we've just provided with our own resources through the Railway Specialist Unit. But we're obviously very constrained by how many families we can assist when we're operating off small donations. So we have a fundraising page for Railway at our GoFundMe website. Um, or you can, of course, um, so you can make a donation directly through our website or just pick up the phone and give us a call. Awesome. Well, um, hopefully listeners will head to the GoFundMe, um, look up Wearaway Specialist Legal Service, but also um, head to the VALS website. You can find VALS on social media. And um, please do chip in if you can, because VALS provides uh, such vital services uh, to the Victorian Aboriginal community. So thank you so much for joining me, Narita. I really appreciate you making the time. Not a problem. Thank you for your time. Goodbye. That was an interview with Narita Waite, CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, who I spoke with earlier this week about the urgent need for changes to bail laws in Victoria and the impact of these laws on Aboriginal people, as well as the Victorian government's failure to provide adequate funding for Aboriginal legal services in the 2021 state budget. You're on Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And now Margaret Pistorius joins us on the line. She's an activist up at um, in Minjin, and um, Margaret joins us to speak about Disrupt Land Forces. Welcome, Margaret. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good morning. It's all happening up here. It's very exciting. <laughs> so can you give us a bit of an update um, about what happened, particularly yesterday, because I know that some people actually entered the Land Forces Convention um, up in the Brisbane yes, I- Convention Centre? Yes, I think we can say we have disrupted land forces. Uh, that was our goal. I think we've met the goal. Uh, we disrupted it as people came in on the first day and um, and various different things in between. But the uh, one highlight, I think, as showed by its broad distribution on social media was a massive incursion yesterday of about 20 people and they took one of the Rhein Metall tanks and um, got up on top and encircled it, locked onto that tank um, and then there was a lot of other disruptive behaviour that went on around that um, uh, uh, turning over the tables, we'd say, us Christians would say turning over the tables in the temple you know, just throwing things around and um, throwing uh, leaflets around that showed the actual Uh, destruction of the weapons that these people caused. Mm, Absolutely. Um, And there's been a number of demonstrations throughout the week, um, the latest being yesterday when you actually managed to get into the convention centre, which is just fantastic. Um, Can you speak about some of the other demonstrations and rallies that have been happening around the Land Forces Convention as well? 
So just to mention that we've still got 10 people on the inside, so it's important that people are watching on social media. Just do shout out to those people on the inside. The watch house is a very dangerous place to be um, for everybody in there. I was in there yesterday and was brutalised by the police um, and shut down and not given any any legal access. So um, just a shout out if you can be watching and keep an eye on those people in all different sorts of ways that you can on social media, remembering they're there overnight and they're there in court this morning. But yes, yesterday we also had the Climate Angels made an appearance. Yesterday was our day to look at the links between militarism and the climate uh, disaster that we're facing. Of course, the militarism drives extraction. Um, it oppresses First Nations people and protectors and defenders of the land. And one of the prime uses of militarism is to get access to fossil fuels and to um, enforce that access. And then, um, and, and then to keep First Nations and other landholders away while uh, that uh, that fossil fuel is stolen from those communities. So uh, we really wanted to highlight this in our in our um, disruption this week. And so we had the climate appearance of the climate angels who uh, ended up with um, holding babies of blood and those babies of blood spread blood around the whole um, entrance area. Uh, so sort of a new take on the climate angels. Um, and we had some young people really involved in that, a young, you know, young ten-year-old, fourteen-year-old. So we're able to really involve a lot of different people in different types of actions. Um, and then last night we had a dinner of death, which was. Um, uh, where we teamed up with the uh, XR crew here and we had a, a set of red rebels and, and these sort of black rebels of death to creating this scene of feasting on death. And they um, had they had a coffin and knives and forks and waiters and a lot of bones and... Um, and so that, that went down into this sort of area where people are eating at night, just in the next street from the convention centre, and they walked around with a, 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 the riffraff marching band. Um, a couple of people were arrested at that, Kieran O'Reilly and Adele uh, Goldie, both long-term peace activists, Kieran, a plowshares activist, and Adele, who, of course, entered Pine Gap in 2005 and um, climbed up on that radar in there. And so we've got um, we've got a lot of different people. We've got new people. Uh, it's 20 people overnight. It's probably their first peace action, if you like. And um, we've got a lot of uh, old people from the peace movement who have been around for the last 20, 30 years as well. So it's a huge um, it's a huge cross section of of movements. Today we're looking at going out to Rhine Natal where they're holding a professional development for teachers uh, because teachers, of course, are where they are grooming. The teachers are grooming the young people into the weapons industry and so they're offering professional development at the weapons dealer itself where the teachers can learn what free resources uh, and the different ways that they can partner uh, their five, six, seven-year-olds, 12, 13, 14-year-olds with the weapons industry. So we're going out to say, no, they, they have to... The weapons industry needs to get out of schools. Um, it's, at the moment, heavily targeting schools because without targeting schools, they can't get the uh, workers into the industry. Women don't want to go into the industry um, unless they're groomed from a very young age. And, and they're, using, they're using things like drones and robots uh, to groom young people so they think they're going to a workshop about looking after whales and they come mm. out and they realize they want to um join the army mm. become a police officer or a corrections officer that's right, that's right. Become a police officer correction officer that's right design weapons you know this is all about the design of weapons and mm. there's 30 billion a year at the moment 
in this flowing into this industry, a big chunk of that will be flowing out into the multinationals' profits in profits margins, um, and then a certain amount stays here to groom small uh, and medium-sized what they call enterprises, these small businesses and um, engineering companies, to try and get them involved and, and, and dependent on the weapons industry. Mm, yeah, and we heard some audio that um, Anna Carlson from 4ZZZ Radio Reversal recorded earlier on in the week. Um, and Andy Payne, he yeah really talked about how this militarisation um, is really like embedded in the Australian ethos and Australian society. So I think that's really great that um, yeah some of the actions up there are really like trying to um, you know address that. Um, as well, so not just the yes. really overt um, selling of weapons from um, big businesses like Albert and Ryman Hall, um, but also, yeah, thinking about the other ways in which the Australian government is really complicit oh, totally. in, um, yeah, trying totally. to. It's really the only thing that the Australian government are designing at the moment, right? This, they're, they're, you know, they're not um, doing anything in the climate change area. They're not doing anything in earth restoration. Um, they're not trying to change the tax system. or the, the only area they are creatively arranging at the moment is the weapons industry. And they're doing that at every level. They're doing it at the primary school, high school, um, the university. The universities are heavily embedded now. You know, universities used to be places for fossil people to learn how to extract fossil fuels, but now they're places for people to learn how to kill. And we, we they're through all the university systems. Um, and then they're out in the little engine. Now they're trying to, you know, get all the little engineering companies on side. And with $30 billion a year, you know, there's a big proportion of the society that just follows the money. They don't care about the ethics. They don't care about the justice. They don't care that these weapons are being used in West Papua to kill ordinary villagers going about their daily lives. Um, at the moment, we have Boeing, for example. Uh, helicopters just flying into West Papua, strafing villages to terrorise people, to move them off their land so they can uh, set up coal mines. Well... Mm. <clears throat> Uh, gold and copper mm. mines, um, uh, rare earth metals, that sort of thing. And so uh, you've also got them doing that in Colombia, in Africa. You know, this has been going on for a long time in Africa. I mean, Africans know all about this. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, so, so we really are looking for people to get involved and to notice what's going on around, especially those of you who have, have children in schools, you know, it's happening in the schools and that's one of the major, they're, they're really trying to get um, young people to shift into this industry. Mm. And there's a, there's a group of people who are doing it. You know, I think engineers, if you have an engineer in your family, they really need to be challenged to stand up to their, um, uh, to their peers, you know, and that, that it's no longer okay for men just to have a career. You know, today is the Toxic Masculinity Day. We're going to smash the patriarchy. And what, <laughs> what we've noticed is one of the main things is that, you know, it's uh, for men, their careers are everything and ethical considerations completely drop off. Drop off yeah. They're so conditioned just to make a buck. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I, I really admire that there's so many different um, intersecting topics that the demonstrators up at Disrupt Land Forces are really trying to tie in to the issues of war. Um, but we'll have to leave it there for the time being. So thank you so much, Margaret, for joining us on thank 3CR so Thursday Morning us. Breakfast. Thank you, 3CR. We love you. <laughs> Um, so just then I was speaking with Margaret Pistorius about the Disrupted Land Forces happening up in Brisbane. Definitely encourage listeners to check out Disrupt Land Forces on social media, Facebook and Twitter and um, Instagram. 
And um, that might be all we have time for on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us this week on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Um, Just a very quick rundown of the show. Uh, First up, we heard from Anna Carlson interviewing Jamal Nabulsi. We then heard Tabitha Lean uh, speaking at Infrastructural Inequalities, Media and Abolitionist Futures. We heard audio from Disrupt Land Forces. And then we heard an interview with Narita Waite from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And then finally, we heard that live update from Disrupt Land Forces. So we'll hear, uh, we'll speak to you next week on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.